Good morning and welcome to City Hope Church. This morning, guest preacher, Pastor Josh Pello, will be wrapping up the sermon series, I'll Be Back. Well, it's a great honour this morning to have Pastor Josh Pello and his wife, Bonnie, and their kids uh, here this morning. He's going to, to deliver the word this morning. But for Josh it's, and, and for Bonnie, it's a bit of a homecoming because Josh used to be the youth pastor here at what was then known as City Net Church, uh, but now City Hope. And in fact, you actually met here in the auditorium, right? Um, wow, that's pretty amazing. So for those that don't know, Josh is the uh, pastor at Pine River City Point Church. And uh, it's a great church, a thriving church. But he also is the uh, initiator of a conference called Future Hope, uh, which is on the book of Revelation. And he has a digital media platform called Just One Media, uh, which is to communicate all about the future hope of Jesus. And when I started this series on I'll Be Back uh, on the book of Revelation, the very first thing that I did was to took Josh out to lunch and uh, picked his brain. And as I was picking his brain, I thought, well, I'll pick lots out of it, but then if I could just get his brain to City Hope, uh, that would be even better. And so he agreed to come and uh, speak this morning, which is absolutely fantastic. So welcome, Josh. Come on, let's, let's stand. Let's put our hands together for the man of God this morning. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Amen. Praise God. You can take your seats. Uh, Pastor Peter is correct. It is great to be home. Uh, it's good to see a lot of family here. A lot of people that we did church for a very long time, a lot of familiar faces. How are you all? Um, and yeah, Pastor Peter's correct. Bonnie and I actually met here. Uh, so this really is a house of miracles because I got a wife here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He's the God of the supernatural. Uh, and so yeah, this is, uh, this is certainly a, a church that holds a lot of special memories for us and will always hold a, a very dear place in our, in our lives, in our ministry journey as well. Our ministry life began here. Um, our, our marriage uh, began here. We were married in this church. Uh, as in we were attending here and we were, got married and, and uh, it's just so good to see it thriving. And uh, I just want to honour the work that Pastor Peter and Melanie have done here. Uh, just to see the church flourishing the way it has. I've been following you guys on Facebook. I keep close tabs on everything that God is doing here in the Beanley region. We lived uh, just, well we, we used to live just over the hill, literally. You could probably throw a rock and hit our house, um, which Pastor Damien did on several occasions. Uh, and and this, this was home for them. We grew up, this is our community, and, and to see such a great church filled with the presence of God uh, doing great works in the community uh, does our hearts good to see that. And I just want to honour Pastor Peter and Melanie for all the work they do here. Pastor Peter is a voice in our nation for justice. And, uh, and, and you guys are just so privileged to have them as your pastors. Uh, he speaks up. He speaks up for justice in the church, which is incredibly important. I love the work that you do in our movement with global care and just, and just being a prophetic voice for justice in our church. But, but he's also a prophetic, which you all know, prophetic voice in our nation for justice, to speak out uh, the, the principles and the love and the justice of God in our nation. And I thank God for men and women like that. So can we just one more time honour Pastor Peter and Melanie for all they do? I'm jealous. I want to be Pastor Peter when I grow up. <laughs> so uh, 
It is correct that uh, I do love to talk about the return of Jesus. I, I find it the most exciting topic in Scripture. Uh, several years ago, um, you, you could probably turn back and realise I was a bit of a sceptic on the whole topic and the whole notion. I grew up in a house where my mother was always saying, you know, Jesus is coming back and it's very soon. It's that, that, that we're in the season of his return. We need to be ready. And so in that household, I kind of grew a natural resistance to that and became quite sceptical and, and used to retort back to my mother. Yes, the Apostle Paul thought that Jesus was coming back too, and, and he was wrong. Uh, he was a good 2,000 years off, so uh, I'm not sure you're as accurate either, um, you know, and kind of pushed it back. He used to say things like, oh, there's heaps that needs to happen before the Lord returns. Um, and then I actually opened Scripture and started reading it for myself and realized that you should always listen to your mother. Uh, because the Bible actually has a great deal to say about the return of the Lord uh, and that we should be living like he could come back at any moment. And it's a beautiful, blessed hope. The Bible uses the words blessed hope uh, that we live with, that today could be the day that we see Jesus. What a beautiful thought that is, that today could be the day that we behold Jesus face to face. It could happen at any moment. What a great hope. It doesn't mean that we only live for today. We also need to plan and also partner with him in the building of the kingdom. So we need to plan and build like he's a thousand years away, but live with the beautiful anticipation and readiness that he could be coming back today. And when we do that, when we hold one hand on the cross and one hand on eternity, we live a beautiful, balanced Christian life where we are uh, being a practical use for the gospel today, but we're also living in the holiness and in the anticipation and the hope of what Jesus has promised for our future. You know, I love the fact, and I said this to Pastor Peter, I love the fact that you're doing this series directly after Easter. Uh, it's when I teach on it in my church as well, because you cannot separate the narrative of Calvary, what, what we celebrate at Easter time, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, you can't separate that from the return of our King. Because the very fact that the tomb is empty is our guarantee that the King is coming. It's the same gospel. Often we, we maybe sometimes isolate the gospel of Jesus down to the fall of Adam, where, where humanity and deity were separated from each other, and Jesus brought it all back to, at Calvary. Uh, but the gospel uh, is not finished at Calvary. Uh, the fullness of our salvation and the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom, which Jesus taught, Jesus didn't come teaching the gospel of salvation. Jesus came teaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom is when the king returns and establishes his kingdom in full, where he'll be living, ruling and reigning in Jerusalem here on planet Earth. Who's looking forward to seeing the ruler of the universe live, rule and reign in Jerusalem, where we'll be able to see him face to face, go up, give him a high five and a, and a, and a hug and, and, and just have a chat with him. Uh, I'm looking forward to those days where we actually go get to visit him. Uh, and, and this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be talking about the millennial reign of Jesus. Uh, and, and we're going to uh, venture down. This isn't something we, we cover a lot of in church. Uh, often we want to focus on how we're going to be forming more into the likeness of Christ, what the Word of God has to say for our lives today. Uh, but today we're going to throw our eyes forward into one of the major events that the Bible talks about um, and one of the major events that we can look forward to, and that is the thousand years or the millennial reign of Christ where he is going to fulfill all of his promises 
and fulfill all the covenants that he has made, both to Abraham, uh, to David, and even to us in the new covenant. He's going to fulfill that in the thousand-year reign. It's something for us to look forward to. I, I, I say it this way. If his first coming was the good news, then his second coming is the great news. And and, and I believe that's a way we should probably frame uh, the return of Jesus. The the first coming was the good news, but the second coming is the great news. As a matter of fact, uh, A.W. Tozer says that actually the centrality of Scripture is the return of Jesus, that everything hinges and is built around that foundational concept that the king is coming back to establish his kingdom in full. Uh, For every one mention of his first coming, Every time that, that you know, a, a Christmas narrative or a Christmas verse is mentioned, there's actually eight times as many mentions of his second coming. So if, for every time we preach on Christmas, there should probably be eight sermons on the return. For every, there are 260 chapters in the New Testament, but yet there are 300 times the return of the Lord is actually mentioned. One in every 30 verses is focused on the return of Jesus. Out of the 27 books in the New Testament, 24 of them directly mention the return of the Lord. And the ones that don't, they're like the single page books like Jude and Third John. It is primarily what creation, what the New Testament authors, and even what Jesus himself was hinging a lot of his ministry around is the establishment of the kingdom of God. And guess what? You're invited not only to enter into that kingdom, but you're invited to actually participate with him in the re-establishment and the establishment of his kingdom to come. You're invited not to just be participants and inhabitants and citizens of the kingdom, but you're actually invited to live, rule, and reign with Jesus Christ. Is anyone excited about living, ruling, and reigning with Jesus Christ? See, there's also, we get, we get uh, in the millennial reign, we also get new bodies. Who's looking forward to that? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I used to, uh, we were back at this church a while ago, and, uh, and I saw Christy out there at the back, and she said, oh, you've got a lot more gray hair now. Uh, that's fine. I really do. She's accurate. That's an accurate statement. But in the millennial reign, gray hair will be gone. I, do, I just say my gray hair is the wisdom from the Lord. It's just crowning me with his glory. Uh, but we get, we get new bodies. I saw a picture of myself preaching the other day, you know, hands up like this. And uh, somebody else put it on, on, on Instagram at a church I was at a couple of weeks ago. And hands up like this, and there's this big tummy sticking. I said, Bonnie, is that my tummy? She said, uh, yeah, I told you that shirt was too tight. <laughs> uh, but we get a new body in the millennial reign. Uh, you know, one with not, not so much, you know, uh, cushioning. I, I get rid of my gray hair. We're all going to have new bodies. And it's a part of salvation that Jesus promised. We just beautifully celebrated communion. And, and it's, it's our spirits are redeemed. Our souls are being sanctified. But our bodies are going to be glorified. Uh, we're going to get glorified bodies. Just like Jesus, we'll be able to walk through doors like he did. I'm looking forward to that. I, I, I don't know why you wouldn't just open the door in the millennial reign, but we're not going to need to. We just walk straight through those doors. And uh, we get to eat fish. So we get to eat in the millennial reign. I'm looking forward to that. Who's looking forward to eating in the millennial reign? I love the fact that God hasn't done away with food in eternity, which is probably why my shirts are too tight. But these are all things that we're anticipating and looking forward to. Uh, 27% of the Bible actually was prophetic at the time of its writing. So 27%, over a quarter of everything in your whole entire scripture was actually prophetic at the time of its writing. 
the greatest portion of that 27% is actually dedicated to the millennial reign. It is a major topic in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's over 1,500 verses uh, talking about the Old Testament. We're going to go through some of those today. I've got a big bunch of scripture for you today. Is that okay? Now, I'm going to fly through a lot of that scripture, but I'll also make my slides available to you if you want them. Uh, that way you can you know, go back and check everything that I said is accurate and I'm not making stuff up. But I'm a pastor. Just trust everything I say. Oh, wow. There's a lot of laughter at that one. <laughs> But uh, the greatest portion was actually dedicated uh, to the establishment of his kingdom. There's actually, uh, when, when Jesus comes back, uh, one of the main reasons he comes back is to actually uh, remove evil. Uh, it is to uh, judge the nations and it is to bring justice uh, to the world. Now, I know you've been doing a series on I'll be back and the return of the Lord, and I'm not sure how much you went through the details of the tribulation, but that, that's essentially what happens there. We're going to fast forward after the tribulation, which is great because that's all a little bit, you know, let's just push that back. Now, we'll go back to where Jesus comes back. Now, there's a reason for that. One of the reasons is he's removing evil from the world. One of the laments of Christianity is if your God's all-powerful, if your God's all-loving and he's all-knowing, why doesn't he remove evil from the world? Well, the fact is he has removed all evil from the world. Just from our perspective, it's actually in our future. But for a being outside of time and space, which God is, he's actually outside of time and space, uh, he's, he's already removed evil from the world. But here's the shape of the gospel. We're going to get into this a little bit more detail in, in a bit. But the first time he came... He came to remove evil from within us so that when he returned to remove evil from the world, he doesn't have to remove us with it. You see, you see what he's done? He, he has always got a plan to remove evil from the world, but he's also given us a 2,000-year opportunity and an invitation where he's already removed evil from within us so that when he does return to remove evil, he doesn't have to remove us with it. But then he does come back. And hopefully we've, we've taken that opportunity and we've said, Jesus, I actually do want to enter into your kingdom. Thank you for that free invitation. I'm going to take you up on that. And we've accepted that and, and, and we're actually, uh, we've been called into heaven with him and we, we celebrate a marriage up there. There's a lot of marriage language in the Bible. You've got to understand that Jesus is coming to collect his bride. It's not always, a, it's not always an analogy I'm comfortable with as an Aussie male that I'm actually a beautiful bride in white. But we're just going to roll with it, okay? So we, we, blokes, we're beautiful brides that Jesus is coming to collect. This is why he said to his disciples, I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. In my father's house is many mansions. Now, if you understand a Jewish wedding, that's what a Jewish groom would say to his bride at the betrothal. At the betrothal, a, 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 a groom would ask his Jewish bride, he would say, you know, do you want to get married? And, and she'd hopefully say yes. And then he would then have to go prepare the family home. And once the bride has said yes, he would have to go to his father's house, prepare the family home. And when the father has said, yep, all good to go, he would come back and collect his bride. Jesus proposed to us on the day of Pentecost. We said yes, and he's now gone to prepare a place for us to go live. But when he comes to establish that kingdom back on earth, we realize that he actually, uh, we're going to be celebrating with him in the basically a thousand year reception. That's a long wedding reception, isn't it? I mean, I've heard some wedding speeches that go a little bit too long, but we're going to be part of a thousand-year wedding reception and celebration with our groom. That is some sort of party. That's one of the elements. That's what's actually happening there. 
But there's a, diff, there's, a, there's a bit of a gap between when Jesus lands on the Mount of Olives. Why does he land on the Mount of Olives? Well, Zechariah 14 tells us that's where he's going to land. Uh, also in Acts, you know, when, when he actually goes and disappears in the cloud, remember the angel said in like manner he's actually going to come back. He's going to come back to that Mount of Olives. And there's going to be about 75 days in between him landing back on earth and the millennial reign starting. We get these numbers in Daniel chapter 12. We see there's actually a 75-day gap in between Jesus landing and the beginning of the millennial reign. Why is that? Well, there's a, there's a couple of really good practical reasons. Do you know this, this book is actually more physical and literal and practical than sometimes what we give credit? We, we kind of over-spiritualize these, this scripture at times. But I, I find God's actually quite, quite, quite physical, quite literal. I, I, like, I, th- I think he likes to be with us. Uh, the reason now, don't get me wrong, supernatural is more real than the physical, but sometimes we can over-spiritualize what God is actually a very practical bloke on. And so Jesus is going to come back. Here's some practical reasons why there's a 75-day gap in between his return and the, and the entrance of us entering into the millennial kingdom. First one is he has to remove the abomination of desolation, which in Daniel chapter 12 uh, we actually see. Um, he's also in that 75-day gap going to uh, get rid of the Antichrist and the false prophet who have been basically ruling the world in a reign of terror. And uh, he, he's going to be getting rid of them into the lake of fire. He's going to throw Satan into the abyss. That's good news, isn't it? Uh, Satan gets thrown into the abyss. See you later. Uh, now, he actually makes a return back at the end, but we'll, we'll cover that off later. Uh, the true border of Israel is going to be established. You know, uh, sometimes people sort of say, well, you know, God's not interested in politics. I, I guarantee you God's interested in politics and he's going to take a political side on the state of Israel when he returns. Now, that's not to say that Israel is perfect and that everything they're doing is perfect. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is God has an interest in this and he has already said what his political opinion on the borders of Israel should be. And he's going to establish that uh, when he comes back. Uh, you know, we sometimes, we, we sometimes give the Jews a bit of a hard time when it comes to the first coming. We're like, you guys missed it. The Messiah came and uh, you didn't receive him. You should have known that he, he was going to come to establish a spiritual kingdom. You were looking for a political leader and you, and you guys were wrong. No, actually, they weren't. They were interpreting Scripture really, really well. And a lot of those 1,500 verses that I told you about in the Old Testament are actually talking about a military political leader coming to establish a physical, literal kingdom here on earth. That's why, that's, that's why they were looking for a political military leader. Uh, it's just that they didn't understand that the establishment and the invitation to the church first, so that they used the nation of Israel to bring the church in. But that doesn't mean God's finished with Israel either. He's going to return back and fulfill all of those verses that, that we have, which we're going to get to in a sec. He's going to establish the true border of Israel. He's going to judge those living on earth. Now, after the tribulation, there will actually be people that survive the tribulation. Um, Now, those who have chosen Jesus, there's only one way to Jesus. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, there's still only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And even in the tribulation, the church uh, won't be here in the tribulation, but the gospel of Jesus will still, the gospel of the kingdom will still be being preached. And you, you still have time, even with God's judgment being poured out, you still have time to accept Jesus as your saviour and to receive salvation through the blood and the sacrifice of our King. Um, and there will be people who choose Jesus in the tribulation. Matter of fact, I believe is probably going to be the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. 
Um, and part of that is because of the gospel that we carry now. Like I tell my friends, um, I, don't, I don't know if you want to be this bold, but I tell my friends, I'm like, um, now just listen to me. My, it's my unsafe friends, by the way. Now just listen to me. Um, if I disappear, make sure you get to church because it's all about to go down. Now, I don't know if you want to be that audacious with your friends, but I tell my friends, and, and you know what, if, if, you get a whole, if you get billions of people disappearing from the face of the planet, and the one thing they got in common is they're all Christian, and they all said, hey, actually, Jesus is coming back to rapture us, then some people are going to be like, actually, I need to go check that out. And so I believe it's going to be a massive revival. There'll be people who choose Jesus. There'll still be people who don't choose Jesus. And when he returns, uh, he'll actually do what's called the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Sometimes we, we, we merge all our judgments in together. There's actually three separate judgments that we need to know about as Christians. The first one is good for us. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. Anyone heard about the Bema Seat of Christ or the Judgment Seat of Christ? Uh, that's where we actually get rewards. We get crowns. We get the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of the overcomer. There's actually a crown for anticipating and expecting and looking for the return of Jesus. You get a crown for that. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get two crowns for that one because I started a conference on it. Uh, so I'm going to double up on that one. Um, although I may have just lost my second crown for boasting about it. I'm not sure. But you, the, you, we get crowns. So that's one of our judgments. We don't, get any, we don't get a judgment of wrath. All of our wrath was poured out on Jesus at the cross of Calvary. There's no judgment of wrath on us. There's only judgments of rewards to us as we enter into the marriage with the Lamb. The second judgment is the judgment of the sheep and the goats, which is what I'm talking about right now. Jesus is going to come back, and those who have accepted Jesus during the tribulation, they will be the sheep, and they will enter into the millennial kingdom, and they will still be in their human bodies. We return with Jesus in our glorified bodies. Now, the judgment of the goats... Those guys have rejected Jesus, they've taken the mark of the beast, they've chosen the Antichrist, they've chosen to reject Jesus, and they actually get taken away into everlasting darkness. Uh, and so the sheep enter into the millennial kingdom, the goats get taken away, um, and the humans who enter in to, and when I say humans, in their bodies like we have now, will have glorified bodies like Jesus in the second coming, but there will be people who survive the tribulation and enter into the millennial reign as uh, uh, humans in the form that we are now. Now, they're on a bit of a different deal than what we are. Uh, we'll actually be glorified bodies. They'll actually still get married, still have babies, and they'll actually repopulate the earth. Uh, but there's, a, there's actually, it'll go back to the way it was, according to Scripture, we'll have a look at some of these verses, the way it was back when Noah and Adam and those guys were around. People are going to live uh, really old. Isaiah says they'll live as old as trees. And also in Isaiah, it says that if, if a human dies at the age of 100, that'll be like dying like an infant. Like that'll be really young age to die. So we'll go back to living like six, seven, eight hundred years old um, because Jesus is living, ruling and reigning here on earth. So that means that he's going to take care of sickness, disease. Uh, he's going to have the best health care plan. Forget Medicare. We'll have Jesus care. And uh, you, you, you won't have any illness or sickness uh, to worry about. And, and they'll actually live uh, under the rule of Jesus Christ. So they'll, they'll continue to live and rule. But that, that judgment happens in that 75-day gap between his return and the start of the kingdom. The Old Testament saints, they actually get resurrected. Uh, so we'll be able to hang out with Daniel and, and Moses and Abraham, ask them questions. 
Um, maybe see if we could, if, I don't know, maybe there's a heavenly iPad or something where we can see replays of like David and Goliath and, you know, get different angles on the rock hitting Goliath. I don't know. But we'll be able to see those guys. They're going to be resurrected. We'll be able to ask them questions. Like, like one of my questions is, David, how did you kill a lion with your bare hands? Like, how did you do that? Uh, that's, that's very manly, a lot more manly than I think I could ever attain. Um, here's one of the things that we actually, in that 75-day gap, will actually be assigned roles. Like I said, you're not just invited into the kingdom, you're invited to actually administer or govern the kingdom with Jesus. Uh, now, heaven's not communism. Uh, remember, uh, there's actually some who, who will actually receive, um, you, you know, five cities or ten cities or, or one city based on a lot of what we do now, which is one of the real reasons that you should actually understand what's in our future, is because if we're driven by eternity, uh, we'll actually understand not that we earn salvation. Salvation is through Jesus Christ, period. Uh, but he's also looking for people uh, when he rewards people going into the kingdom. So um, I've already put dibs on Noosa. Uh, that'll be my area that I'm going to be governing. I've told Jesus about that. Um, I've shotgunned it. You guys are going to have to choose something else. Um, and, and we'll actually have areas, because you've got to remember, there was seven years of devastation that, that the Bible says that if God didn't bring to an end, no flesh would survive. There's, it's a very dark time, the tribulation. Very dark time. And there'll be a lot of rebuilding that needs to happen. Rebuilding from the war and, and, and just the outpouring of, of God's wrath that we'll actually be able to restore creation back. Now, the marriage of the supper will commence. Now, the marriage happened in heaven, but the marriage supper, the celebration, the reception, like I said, will actually uh, be part of our thousand-year journey, uh, which is why Jesus often aligns the kingdom of God with a marriage banquet. The kingdom of God and the marriage banquet is 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 a story that Jesus tells on numerous occasions. The uh, possibility of, if, you, if you're familiar with Ezekiel, you know there's a good um, eight chapters there that, that um, actually talk about the Millennial Temple. That could potentially be start to be rebuilt. I would say that the whole um, uh, Tribulation Temple or the Third Temple will probably just be torn down because it would just be totally, um, uh, basically, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It'll totally be desecrated by the Antichrist and, and he'll be doing a whole bunch of things there. That they'll probably just pull the whole thing down and start rebuilding the temple described in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. That's in the first 75 days, all right? And we've got 15 minutes to do the next 900 and 900 years, 335 days. Did I get my maths right on that? I don't think I did. No. Uh, you, you ready to go for the next 1,000 years? All right, so... Let me, let me put it in perspective for you. That's some of the micro detail of Jesus returning and setting up his kingdom. Let's go a bit macro now. Why the kingdom? Why the kingdom? Well, let, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and we actually see the very first prophecy in, in the Bible. The very first prophecy in the Bible is Genesis 3, 15. It was given by God himself. At this stage of the story, Adam and Eve have actually fallen from glory. Uh, they've actually allowed sin to enter into creation. And you've got to understand, and we all do, that, that humanity and deity were separated. But something else that was separated was heaven and earth. Heaven and earth were separated and corruption actually entered into creation. And what the second Adam, one of the titles that Jesus has, is the second Adam 
something that he'll be doing is actually uh, not only reuniting heaven back to earth, but also re-establishing the beauty and the glory of creation that God created for. Remember, Adam's first job was take this garden, expand it, have dominion, go and flourish, go and multiply, and he, he, he failed at that. Well, the second Adam, Jesus, is not going to fail with that. He's going to take the glory of the Lord and he's going to make it cover the whole earth. And so there won't be just a little Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden and all of creation will actually flourish under the second Adam, Jesus Christ, around the whole world. Um, And and this is where we understand in Genesis 3.15, God actually prophesies to the serpent. He says that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. So Jesus comes back as the seed of the woman and he crushes the dominion of Satan and establishes his kingdom worldwide. Now let's, let's jump over to Isaiah chapter 11. So we've got a problem here in Genesis. Man's fallen and there's a kingdom of darkness, but God's prophesied that the seed of the woman's going to crush it. We'll go over to Isaiah chapter 11 and this will be a familiar verse to you. There shall come forth from the rod... For the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight in the fear of the Lord, he shall not judge by the spirit of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And it goes on in these verses. What's it talking about? It's talking about the millennial reign of Messiah. Remember I said the Jews actually got it right. They were looking for a political leader to establish a kingdom where he's going to be judging the nations with righteousness. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. This is describing a political military leader that's going to rule the nations. So the Jews, tick, they got it right. It was us that actually have looked back into history and and sort of imposed our own perspective on it instead of understanding that there was a deeper mystery. Remember, the church was a mystery. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It was a mystery that God was fulfilling Ephesians tells us that it was in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. It wasn't an afterthought. It's not like Jesus was on the cross and he's like, oh man, I didn't see this happening. I better go to plan B. No, the church was always part of the plan of God, but it was a mystery. And so the Jews just didn't understand the mystery, but they certainly weren't wrong in, in, in proclaiming that the kingdom was going to be established by a political leader. So Genesis, humanity and deity are separated. But there's a prophecy of Messiah is going to come and establish his kingdom in full. Luke 4.18, we see a very famous verse that you'll all be familiar with. Jesus is in the synagogue, opens up the scroll, and what does he read? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel, to, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring, to bring uh, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to claim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. He goes through the whole thing and he gets to the last part before he closes the scroll and he says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and he closes the scroll. The only problem is Jesus closed the scroll halfway through a sentence. What was that sentence? Well, to find that out, we've got to go to Isaiah 61. Now remember, if you want these slides, you can check this yourself. Let's go back to Isaiah 61, see the context that Jesus was preaching. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What's after Lord? A comma. But Jesus stopped there at the comma. What's after the comma? And the day of vengeance of our God. So Jesus closed the scroll at the point where he was actually proclaiming everybody's welcome to come into the kingdom. And he's put a pregnant pause on the day of vengeance of our God. So far, 
That pregnant pause has been 2,000 years or thereabouts. And our role in that 2,000-year pause is to partner in God with that invitation into the kingdom. We should be telling our neighbours, hey, come join the kingdom. Hey, come get to know Jesus. Come and actually enter into the joy of God. Because that comma is not going to last forever. At some point, the day of vengeance of our God is going to happen. He's long-suffering, not eternally suffering. And part of that is because he does want to remove evil from the planet. He doesn't want to see children living in poverty. He doesn't want to see children living in slavery. He doesn't want to see, you know, the corruption that is happening in our world systems. He does want to bring justice. We partner in that justice. You've got a justice champion in this church. You are a champion of justice as a church. Well, Jesus is the ultimate champion of justice and he's going to remove all evil and he's going to bring the judgment of God and then we enter into the kingdom. This is why the kingdom is being established. So this is more of a macro level. Do you see the whole narrative of the gospel now? Genesis, humanity fell, but creation and heaven were torn apart. See, sometimes we've been guilty of this. Salvation is we get to suffer through earth and then go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's certainly not what Jesus teaches. What Jesus taught was this. Bring heaven down to earth. The last scenes in the Bible is not those who love God floating away to heaven. The last scenes in the Bible is heaven coming down and invading earth and those who love God living, ruling and reigning with him. And if you go to the centrality of the Sermon on the Mount, his main bullet point in Jesus' main sermon, we find out that his his main thrust of that whole sermon was, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We've been asked to partner in that. That's always the plan of God. And guess what? He pulls it off. It happens. Yes, the victory of Calvary, but now the return of the king is about to happen. He's going to establish his kingdom in full. Now, there's key texts that you can look there. Uh, These are some of the really key texts. I'm just going to skim over that because we want to keep moving along. Uh, But let's let's ask the question, why have a thousand-year reign? Why have a thousand-year reign? Why not just skip straight into heaven? Why not just go straight into eternity? Well, there's a couple of really good practical reasons outlined in Scripture. We see that actually the reason why we have a a thousand-year reign is, first of all, to reward the faithful. We see in Daniel and Corinthians and Revelation that actually the the millennial reign is a reward. It's going to be really cool living in the millennial reign. Uh, We get to, first of all, we've got glorified bodies, like I said. Second of all, uh, we get to go between heaven and earth, like like Jesus can now, like Jesus can be in heaven, he can be on earth, like he could walk in here right now if he wanted to. He's not limited, so we could be in the throne room, we could be here. It's going to be a great reward to actually rule the world with Jesus, to live in his power and his grace, to reestablish creation the way it's meant to be right around the world. The second part is to redeem creation. Like I said, the first Adam lost Eden. The second Adam is going to restore Eden. Eden. Uh, Eden is actually Jordan. We don't want to restore that. Um, we want to restore Eden to redeem creation. Uh, and, and that's part of what we've been you know, invited into. The last one is to, to realize the covenants. Why is that important? Well, if God's going to disregard the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the covenant he'd made with David, if he's going to be like, oh, look, don't worry about that, I've got a better plan, what's stopping him from breaking the covenant with us in the new covenant, Jeremiah 31? We want to serve a God who's going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant because we want to serve a God who's going to fulfill the covenant he made with us. Make sense? 
And so God is going to, and I love that about God, he's going to, he's going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. He's going to fulfill the Davidic covenant. Uh, and if you aren't familiar with those covenants, that'll be some great extra reading for you to look into. Uh, one of the cool things about the Davidic covenant is that um, worship is going to be reestablished. The Holy of Holies was, was blocked off in the, in the Mosaic covenant, and the, the law, in other words. But in David's covenant, the tabernacle was actually open and, and, and he could actually just go in and out of the presence of God, which is a picture for us in the millennial reign. We'll be able to go in and out of the presence of God as we like. So what's it going to be like? Well, the Bible tells us a lot about what it's going to be like. I'm going to give you a synopsis, a snapshot, and then you guys can look up all the verses uh, later on. And like I said, you either take a screenshot of what's coming up on the screen or I'm happy to send these slides and forward them out to whoever wants them. First of all, we know it's going to be a worldwide of peace. As there's going to be peace everywhere. Now, peace in a Jewish sense, we, we all should know, it, it just doesn't mean a, a, a lack of military action, but it means there's nothing missing, nothing broken, everything whole. But it certainly also does mean there's going to be no war. No war for a thousand years. All the weapons of the world are going to be laid down, and actually it says in Isaiah that the weapons of the world are going to be turned into agricultural equipment. We're going to be farmers instead of fighters. We're going to be lovers instead of haters. Yeah, uh, that, That's the way it's going to be, peace. Uh, the next thing it really denotes the thousand-year reign is joy. Do you know the song, Joy to the World? Sing it at Christmas time? Not so much about the first coming. It's actually written about the second coming. Joy to the World was actually written about the return of Jesus. Uh, because that was, that's what the world is going to be experiencing when joy himself is actually living here in Jerusalem. Uh, there's going to be holiness. The whole world is going to be set apart. It, interesting. This is interesting. The Garden of Eden was set up like a temple uh, where you had, you had creation, which is the outer court. You had Eden, which is the inner court. You had the Holy of Holies, which was the Garden of Eden. That's where God dwelt with man. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible, you'll see a mirror image. In the first two chapters of the Bible, there is no sin, no sickness, no disease, no death, no separation between God and man. There's perfect uh, union between heaven and earth and God and man. You look at the last two chapters of the Bible, no sin, no sickness, no death, no disease. God is dwelling with man. There's no separation between heaven and earth, no separation between God and humanity. Exact mirror images. Uh, and the reason for that is because part of what God's ideal and creation is in that Holy of Holies, the original Holy of Holies, the Garden of Eden is that everything is set aside and sacred unto God. Humanity, creation, everything is, uh, is, just, is, is living in his, in his holiness. The glory. Praise God. The glory of God is going to cover the world. Now, the glory of God can be really simply denoted by these three things. His presence, His power, and His goodness. In other words, if the glory of God is covering the earth, the goodness of God is covering the earth. We're just, everywhere we go, we're just going to experience God's goodness. It doesn't matter where, you, you could go even to Tanzania and you will experience God's goodness. You go to Argentina, you'll experience God's goodness. Everywhere you go, either close to Jerusalem or further away, it'll be covered and drenched in God's goodness. Uh, justice, which we've talked about, and the full knowledge. In Habakkuk, it actually says you're not going to need teachers like me teaching you right now, like I am now, about what's going to happen and who Jesus is. And, but you, you'll be able to actually just know yourself because he'll be there in Jerusalem. You'll actually know the full knowledge of who God is. And my, favorite, my favorite verse in the Bible is in Revelation. It says, and the dwelling place of God is with man. Isn't that cool? 
And the dwelling place of God is with man. There's no more mystery to who he is. As a matter of fact, the revelation of Jesus Christ is what the Revelation book is about. It's the revealing of who God is. Uh, universal worship with God. Uh, so, you know, Steve will definitely have a job in the millennial reign. He'll be singing uh, worship. He'll be leading millions in worship in the, in the I, me, not so much. Me as a Bible teacher, I'm, I'm no longer needed, but Steve's going to be needed still to be leading people in worship. Uh, economic prosperity. Our political leaders uh, today always like to focus on two things, uh, universal health care and universal prosperity, world peace. They all love it, but there's only going to be one leader that's actually going to be able to deliver it. And guess what? It's the king that you serve. Uh, and also the presence of God uh, is going to be here on earth, which we've said several times, and Jesus will live in Jerusalem, which we've said several times. So that, that's a, that's a, I've tried to fit a thousand years into as short a time as I can, but do you want me to sum it up for you really, really simply? Uh, matter of fact, I, I think I can sum the whole Bible up with one verse. Are you ready for this? Who's behind on their reading plan for the year? Well, I'm about to catch you right up. Like, you, you won't need to read your Bible for the rest of the year because I'm about to just ex- explain the whole gospel from Genesis to Revelation with one verse. And, uh, and if, 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 you didn't, if you were snoozing or on Facebook for the last 35 minutes, don't worry about it. You didn't miss anything because I'm going to explain it all now in the next three minutes, which really I probably could have done from the beginning and saved us all time. But we're here now. I'm going to explain the whole story in one verse, and that is Romans 5.17. For if by one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more. Everyone say those words, much more. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign with the one, Jesus Christ. For if by one man's offence, the first Adam, one man's act, Heaven and earth were separated. God and humanity were separated. Corruption entered into humanity and our lives, but also corruption entered into creation. And the glory of God was removed from the face of the planet. The presence of God was removed from the face of the planet. Prosperity, wholeness, healing, everything was removed when heaven and the presence of God was removed. But if one man's, through one man's offense, death reigned, death meaning separation, death reigned through the one, much more. I love those words in this verse, much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign, not just live, not just be, but reign with the one, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that whatever sickness came through Adam, much more healing came through Jesus Christ. Whatever brokenness came through Adam, much more restoration and wholeness came through the one, Jesus Christ. How much, how much poverty and I believe poverty is a spiritual term, not a financial term. Uh, we, we have, as a, as a human population, and, and the keys players can come or the musos can come, as a human population, we've spent $6 trillion on poverty worldwide to try and cure that. But money is never going to fix poverty because it's a spiritual ailment that came through the fall. And as much poverty came through Adam, much more prosperity and provision comes through the one Jesus Christ. No matter how much of the sickness, disease, brokenness and destruction came through Adam, much more restoration, wholeness and healing comes through Jesus Christ. And, and, and this, is, this is how it works. We've been invited to actually live and rule and reign in his kingdom because that's his will. His will is his heaven invades your earth. His will is that the fullness of heaven is once again reunited with the lack that came through the first Adam. That's why he came. 
That's why he's inviting you right now to come and join him in his kingdom. This is why the story of the gospel of the kingdom is what Jesus came teaching everywhere he went. The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. He's inviting us into his kingdom because it's the greatest story that we could ever be told and ever be invited into. Everybody's got a negative message today. If you listen to the environmentalists, they'll say, the world is about to end. You listen to the geopolitical experts, they're saying we're already in World War III and it's only a matter of time before we destroy each other. You listen to the conservationists, they'll say that the human, human population is a plague on the earth and we're about to burn up all our resources and destroy ourselves. Everybody has a negative message about the future. But the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Christian church, those who follow and serve him, have a message of hope for the future. And that is our greatest days are ahead because our future is actually held in the hands of a loving God and a loving King who has got an open invitation for whosoever. Whosoever wants to enter into his kingdom, into his peace, his prosperity, his provision, is welcome to through the blood and atoning work of everything he achieved at Calvary. Our future is secure because of what he's already done at the cross. You want to close your eyes and bow your head with me this morning. Maybe nobody's ever invited you into the kingdom like that. Maybe nobody's ever told you the story of humanity and the story of God, that his longing desire is to be with you. We often talk about how we want to be in God's presence. And I do, and I know you do too. But you know what? The great story of the Bible is that God wants to be in your presence. So much so that he actually literally moved heaven and earth so that he could be with you. And this morning, he's inviting you to once again be reunited back into the presence of God, into the goodness of God, and into his plans for your future. So if you want to accept that invitation this morning, why don't you just raise your hand to God right now and say, God, I I want to accept that invitation. I want to choose you and your kingdom and to live with you forever in your presence and goodness. Is there anyone who wants to choose Jesus this morning? Just raise your hand to heaven. I'll see it. God will see it. And we can celebrate with you. Look across the room one more time. Anyone want to choose Jesus? Awesome. Well, I've got another invitation for the rest of you as well. God's asked you to participate with him in establishing his kingdom. We don't talk about the millennial reign just so that we've got something nice to go and mull over, although it does give us a secure future hope for our, our tomorrow, a sense of security. But it's also an invitation that Jesus has asked us to partner with him, to go and tell our neighbours, to go and say, Pastor Peter, Pastor Melanie, what can I do to help? What can I do to get this message out? How can I help serve at the church? How can I help serve my community? We need to get the invitation of Jesus out to as many people as we can. It gets us active in our church, gets us active in our relationship with God. It's an invitation. He's asked you to be a king and a priest in his kingdom. Not just a citizen, but an heir. So I'm just going to invite you just for the next minute, just to reflect with Holy Spirit yourself. God, what does that look like for me to participate in establishing your kingdom in my world, to bring in your heaven to my community? Just reflect on that for the next minute and invite Pastor Peter to come back.
Amen. It was awesome, Josh. I think you delivered about five sermons worth of revelation in 40 minutes. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, a lot to contemplate, a lot to think about. And uh, Josh's sermon will be up on our City Hope website by about Wednesday. So if you want to listen to it again, uh, then uh, that'll be available to you. And you can come and see Josh and grab the slides if you want to go through those verses. Uh, but that was, that was excellent. So come on, let's put our hands together and appreciate Pastor Josh. Fantastic. Thanks for listening. Have a blessed week.